Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets podcast. I'm Graham Davis, the digital editor of Investors Chronicle. I'm standing in once again for John Human, uh, who has gone on holiday once more. Um, he came back briefly to get this issue out of the way and uh, has swanned off again. So we look forward to seeing him back next week. With me in the studio this week, I have the company's editor, Stephen Wilmot. Hello, Stephen. Hi, Graham. I have the news editor, Bradley Gerard. Hi. Hi, and over in the control room, I've got Daniel Liberto and our deputy company's editor, Ian Smith. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Uh, so, it's been another interesting week on the markets. Now, Bradley, I'd like to uh, look at the news uh, first and sort of see the markets seem to have, well, from afar, they seem to have been a bit calmer this week. What's, what's been going on? Is this the A-team effect? The, the, <laughs> the A-team are back in town? What's happened? Maybe it is. Uh, maybe people are just getting used to the fact that things are a bit turbulent in China. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, looking back to the sort of past sort of 10 days, there's certainly been more up days in markets than down days. Um, today, I think actually markets are down a bit. Yeah, I think that's partly sort of the Asia sort of domino fell a bit last night. Mm. It's sort of pushed Europe and uk down a bit but nothing too crazy um and interestingly in the news we kind of obviously we've talked a lot in the past few weeks about the chinese market falling a lot um some uk plays on the chinese market are being impacted which we mentioned in the seven day section um including like fund manager ashmore which is emerging markets focus manager and also oxford instruments um warned of tough conditions in the chinese industrial market mm. so even if your sort of exposure to china is a bit more sort of lightly shaded um the companies in the uk that you know operate part or a lot of their operations there are finding it tough so we are beginning to see a sort of a real effect yeah exactly on earnings. A, an effect that's closer to home i suppose mm. rather than thinking oh i don't own a you know china asia etf or something or a china fund so i'm probably okay there's there, there could be a sort of um, ripple effects into some of the uk stocks that investors hold mm, and i guess that could last for some time as well <laughs> yeah you know answers on the postcard mm. as to how long it will last i mean very difficult to say um it seems like china is um it's done a few things the past few weeks and it's cut interest rates it's trying not to intervene now too much in the markets because actually ironically it seemed its intervention was what caused the panic yeah. whereas in the west central banks intervene it's, it's it's all okay but apparently it's not okay if the chinese <laughs> government intervenes judging by the the past few weeks so they've stopped kind of um putting their their oar in it seems and letting things to a degree be as they will be and i think that's helped a bit <laughs> i guess let markets be markets and you know we'll... yeah as, as much as that can be the case in china without sounding a bit uh, <laughs> critical uh, just in terms of of the markets, I mean, we're seeing, uh, you know, as we said over the past week, it's if you look at the market, it's up a little bit overall. But we're seeing quite dramatic intraday moves in markets. Yeah, I mean, we were chatting, weren't we, just before mm. we came into the studio, and um, I think the FTSE today is down uh, when we came down about one and a half percent, which you know, not that long ago would have probably caused a lot of headlines yeah. but now that sort of volatility is becoming obviously more common because while the the fall has been noted by you know all the wires and the ft of course as well um you know it's not a big screaming headline it's just that oh, it's down today yeah one and a half percent which yeah in days of yore was um, a big move but mm. not so much now yeah, it seems to become becoming the norm. But I, I've noticed that also sort of traders and market commentators are, are um, looking ahead a little bit now. Next week, it appears as though uh, eyes are firmly fixed on the, the, the Federal Reserve. Yeah, I think so. Obviously, we've had the um, UK Bank of England um, today you know, hold hold fast. They've not done anything. I think it was eight to one, the vote to hold rates where they are. Interestingly, the, the, the data in the UK, some of it is quite strong. And looking mm. at some of the notes um, from the bank of england meeting they do kind of mention that in spite of things going on globally which are a bit sort of turbulent actually 
you know, UK growth and inflation aren't too bad um, in terms of their you know, forecast anyway. Um, it says domestic momentum is being underpinned by robust real income growth, supportive credit conditions and elevated business and consumer confidence. So on the one hand, it's saying the economy is OK and the global turbulence is not really having an impact on those things. But we're not going to raise rates just yet. So there's a potential that the US would do the same thing. They've got some, you know, some okay economic data. They're creating jobs still, but they might use the caveat of, well, we're not quite sure about everything else that's going on. So maybe we'll hold fire as well. But as you said, the meetings next week. So we have to wait and see what um, Janet Yellen does. And I get, you know, whatever they do, the the waves will be felt around the world if they do make a move upwards. That seems to be what people are saying. I mean, there's, um, you know, the, the the big bears out there are predicting, you know further carnage and chaos in emerging markets the slightly those are the slightly more sanguine approach say well emerging market economies aren't in the position they were the last time this Mm. happened back in the late 90s which caused the asia crisis but yeah it's probably not going to be plain sailing watch this space i guess and of course it's perfectly well it's actually awfully timed for us because we go to press on wednesday evening and you know whatever happens will happen on thursday it will it will (laughs) maybe maybe we'll just give janet a call and ask her to you know yeah give us a wink and a nod yeah um, so that's one to watch out for. Certainly next week is going to dominate, um, I think, for many months to come. The China fallout partly has uh, been caused by commodities. And this is where I wanted to bring Stephen in to uh, ask him about another element of the seven days here, which you've written your taking stock column on, is, is Glencore um, and the commodity giant, which this week said it's going to have to raise a significant amount of money. Yes. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting announcement. I mean, um, it, was, it took the market a bit, like, bit by surprise hmm. um, because they seemingly ruled out a rights issue actually they haven't announced a rights issue and that that is an interesting point in itself but um, they ruled out a rights issue at the time of the interim results back in august I mean, what, what seems to have happened is that um, the market took or the, the shares fell on the interim results which were worse than expected and obviously chief executives tend to go on these sort of investor roadshows after results mm. to talk through things with investors particularly after they haven't been that good and um, it, it seems to have been made clear to um, Mr. Glasenberg at, at, um, at Glencore that um, he, he he needed to you know muster up um, something more than comments about hedge funds shorting the stock, which is <laughs> a standard excuse. And so you know he's come up with a plan. Uh, you know, just two and a half weeks later, and the market was obviously so impressed by this sort of gesture that it, it didn't. Share, uh, shares leapt. On yeah, the, share, the shares leapt, and they, they, I think they leapt about seven um, percent on the day, and maybe ro- um, continued to rise actually on Tuesday. So it, it wasn't a kind of um, one of those, well, a bit like the Japanese index this week, seemingly, mm. where um, one day's um, gain is the next day's loss. But yeah, so, but but I, I don't know. I, I looking at it, I'm, I'm just um, I'm slightly surprised that people are quite so optimistic because. Well, on the one hand, I'm not surprised because basically the w- one reason I think the shares jumped is that they haven't actually asked the market for that much money. For all the talk about, you know, massive recovery plan, we're going to, you know, he, he made some comments on we want this balance sheet to be bulletproof and he sort of made, I mean, it comes across as a bit of a PR stunt because actually it's only raising 2.5 billion, which in the context of a, a company which is worth about 26 billion, so these are dollars, is not a vast amount. You know, it's, it's And what not, is its debt? Do we know? Um, its debt's about 29 billion. <laughs> Right, so it's so uh, and, and you know its target. Even after it's it's announced more than just raising a bit of equity, it's sort of said that it's going to optimize its working capital, sell some assets, blah blah blah. So and it's come up its, with it. 
dividends being cut as and well. it's cut its dividend mm. yeah, crucial point um, and uh, you know altogether these 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 measures are worth about 10 billion but you know it, it's end target is um net debt in the low 20 billions which is hardly <laughs> that that low you know it, but it still it keeps it it gives it a little more headroom for profits to fall without it bre- bre- breaching its sort of internal you know it wants to keep net debt at less than three times cash profits that's its internal target and it gives it a bit more headroom reducing net debt but it's not quite the kind of um, bazooka that seemed to be received as by the market so yeah. that's really what I was trying to sort of run get my head around this was what my taking stock was was on this week so is it, it's just sort of patching up patching up a hole in the hope that it can ride out the downturn is it do you think yeah, well that yeah that that's how it's been presented it's glasenberg presented as you know we are making our balance sheet bulletproof so you know you know, we'll, we'll be able to carry on no matter what happens. Um, but I just personally, I don't think that's true at all. You know, if commodity prices fall a bit further, then its mining division will um, come under further pressure. This is particularly copper and coal and so forth. Yeah, there's no but, sign of the trough in, in yeah, commodity prices well, ending well, soon. Exactly. And But then the other point is that um, actually it's, it's marketing division, which is the trading bit, had a really weak first half. And um, they're sort of hoping for a better half to kind of make up for it. But that kind of thing is completely unpredictable. You know, they make money by doing arbitrage on pricing and all sorts of stuff that you can't be predicted in advance. Mm. So how quite how they can say, oh, we expect the second half to be slightly better. is anyone's guess, frankly. I mean, <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm just a bit wary. that. But basically, if, if marketing disappoints again, then, then I, mm. I can't see um, this, this bulletproof balance sheet actually being as bulletproof as all that. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a bit more equity issuance. And is uh, Mr. Glassenberg, I mean, if, you know, fabulously wealthy man uh, mm. from, from this yeah, uh, he's stumping his up marketing giant. Is he dipping into his pocket? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the other... I mean, regular readers will know that we, um, we're we always a bit irritated by these placings. Um, on the one hand, it's good because it's quick. That's why the market probably liked mm. it, right? They, didn't, they don't want a, a rights issue which will take forever and um you know and, and double the amount of stock and that kind of th- you know stuff but um on on the other hand for for private investors a placing is not good at all because it means that basically it ends up being a stitch up between management and and their favorite institutional investors yep. and that's exactly what's happened seem well seems likely they haven't to, to happen here they haven't actually announced all the details yet i should say but uh yeah it, from what they were saying you know they, they're raising actually under 10 percent of um, the market cap, um, which you're allowed to do without doing a rights issue, and management are standing by. I think they said twenty odd percent of it. Right. Um, it sounds like the sort of deal where they're they're not diluting themselves, but they're diluting all the other investors. Yes. Apart from a few chosen ones. So. Be interesting when the details come out. Then. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. You, you're saying, and 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 others, uh, market you know, sector watchers are saying that this could be the beginning of another big round of fundraisings across the mining sort of. Yeah, sector. well, uh, yeah, that, that's that's a definitely a, a a possibility. I mean, one of the reasons I think this this uh, deal was announced was that Merrill Lynch came out with a note um, last week saying uh, the sector could need fifty to sixty billion of dollars of new equity, and the, and it did talk about Glencore, but it talked about the other biggies as well hmm. and you know if we view glencore as the goldman sachs of uh, commodities basically you want to get your money out you want to get the money quickly get you want to get your plan out f- fast before investors tire of um putting their hand in their pocket this is the general rule with these things so 
and then there was obvious speed. Speed seemed to be of the essence. Yeah, you know, it's only two and a half weeks and it's a half year results, yeah. and they've obviously turned turned their thoughts around pretty quickly. So yeah, he must have had some robust <laughs> discussions with shareholders in that that couple of weeks of indeed, roadshows. Indeed. Okay, thanks, Stephen. And uh, sticking with uh, dividend cuts, and uh, we're, we're we're flipping back to the the news section here, and Bradley with uh, GVC Holdings. Uh, they, they announced this week they're going to. This is a new one to me. A dividend holiday. Well, apparently it's not new to them. Um, <laughs> they, I had a chat to the chief executive Kenny Alexander, and um, the state, the the details about the dividend holiday are in an announcement on the stock market. Um, mm. Maybe use the word buried would be maybe a bit unkind, but maybe a light dusting of soil um, <laughs> was was over it. It wasn't on the headlines, but that yeah. way. Um, but yes, uh, Kenny Alexander, the GVC chief executive, I had a chat to him this week. He told me when GVC took over Sporting Bet, which uh-huh. it now owns, because of the costs of integrating that company, they took a holiday on the dividend. They took a, they planned to take a year off. As things went, only lasted six months to integrate Sporting Bet. They resumed the dividend, therefore, straight after that, pretty much at the same level. And Mr. Alexander suggested it rose quite quickly after that because it was obviously an enlarged group. Hmm. And um, this has this has been a favourite for for its yield. Absolutely. I mean, I think when we checked yesterday, it's still on about 8 or 9% um, mm. dividend yield, if I remember that correctly. Um, so, Mr. Alexander saying, well, look, we've done this before. Now, we've obviously, it's beaten uh, rival 888 to the punch to take over B-Win Party. So, um, that's what it's doing. And, um, yeah, Mr. Alexander says that, you know, because of the costs, again, of integrating this business, it is sensible and prudent to you know fold on the dividend for 2016. Mm. But he pledges to resume it at the uh, latest well the plan is to resume it in 2017 okay but there was obviously you know his um optimism i suppose was shining through a bit and i, I think he would hope that he could repeat the mm. feat that happened with sporting bet so to resume it earlier than planned obviously he can't guarantee that and he wasn't guaranteeing that but um yeah 2017 resumption at the same levels at the latest Hopefully, yeah. I mean, he he would hope to do it earlier, but he he can't promise that, obviously, which is sensible no. and fair. Um, so yeah, but twenty sixteen, um, yeah, they won't be paying a dividend unless they uh, expedite the you know, the merger of the two businesses. Yeah. So um, it is an important thing for investors because yeah, a lot of people follow the stock for its for its payouts. I mean, it's the share price actually in the past year has not done particularly well. Over two years, the price has done very well. So um, you know, the the yield on it is obviously a key aspect of ownership, but. Um, I've suggested kind of holding on if you're in makes sense because if there is an early resumption of the dividend, then the chances are that will probably propel the stock up a little bit, yeah. even if only in the short term. So um, it seems silly to sell and it seems, you know, you, you could worry about the cost maybe rising of integration. So that might sort of put you off being a buyer now. So hold seems sensible. Okay, we'll keep keep an eye on that on that one as well. And obviously, that's uh, when we talked about that. That's this ongoing theme in the gambling sector is this consolidation. So absolutely, it seems like eight 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 and William Hill are the only kind of ones, the major ones in the UK that haven't merged or bought or mm. whatever yet. So, yep, we shall see. They must be having lunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, elsewhere in the in the news section, um, uh, Bradley, you, you also took a look at the quite stunning upgrade in Ryanair's forecasts this week. Yeah, absolutely. They um, they followed. I think EasyJet did the profit upgrade last week, and Ryanair followed and kind of trumped it, I suppose, by saying that it expected a twenty five percent rise in its full year profit mm. outlook, um, which you know is is 
bombastic even for Ryanair. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's quite something. Um, I have to say, actually, before they did this, I was speaking to some analysts in my piece, and one of them did say, oh, it's about this time of year that Ryanair normally ups its profit guidance, mm. and lo and behold, a day later, Ryanair ups its yeah. profit guidance. So maybe it was partly expected, but the, the amount by which it was expected, mm. I'm not sure that was factored in. So yeah, it's been a very positive summer for the airlines, um, yeah. because the what summer weather in the uk has not been positive it's been awful so um the back end of august um a lot of the airlines reported you know a, a jump in the amount of passengers they're carrying um share prices if you have a look at the share price charts of the airlines there's a nice little tick up yeah. right at the end of august so yeah i just wanted to investigate kind of how the rest of the year might fall now given th- such a strong summer yeah because obviously the final quarter is tougher always it's a bit more fallow yeah i mean mm. i think it's not it's not i think the worst quarter is q1 generally because yeah. that is really just like winter no one goes anywhere doesn't even think but q4 is not a strong quarter not as strong as q2 and q3 so but there is actually quite a bit of bullishness about q4 with the airlines several reasons one being that the low-cost carriers are just becoming less um less seasonal um you know they're they're growing very well and so they're managing their um, capacity a lot better i think um, one analyst i was speaking to said ryanair you know is much better at parking planes and um, it uses contract staff so it can manage its staff costs a lot better so those things have kind of helped it in the past mm. and it seems capacity management is, is getting a lot better at those airlines too of and course then, easyjet's turned to business travelers as well. it has yeah and i think it's a very very small part still of its of, right. its, of what it does and then uh, Gerald Koo at Libram who I spoke to um, he said that he thinks it'll be the smallest part of their business for a long time to come mm. but um, on business travel it's an interesting point actually because um, Gerald at uh, Libram was also saying that that is something that kind of does support um, IAG which is the owner of British Airways because they are, are very dominant in the UK market anyway in business travel so that could help them as could the fact that the dollar is very strong because BA has a lot of traffic to and from the US so US tourism is important and with a strong dollar it's more likely that you know Yanks might travel over here because it appears cheaper. Yeah thank you Bradley. Um, I wanted to bring Ian in at this point because um, one of our other news stories involves Aberdeen Asset management, but also this sort of feeds into some wider themes that we were discussing around the uh, financial services and asset management it, sector. It sure does, yeah. So uh, Aberdeen is uh, uh, buying Parmenian, uh, which is kind of, they provide an investment platform kind of fund management service for overworked IFAs following the RDR who don't really want to do the investment bit anymore and want to be able to outsource it. So that's what Parmenian provides. They've got about 900 um, advisory firms uh, that they link up with um, where they provide these kind of risk-graded funds. So it's this big trend within investment management to people being interviewed about their risk appetite. Yep. And then fund management um, firms designing a kind of risk-graded investment strategy to suit. Um, so this is interesting for a couple of reasons for Aberdeen. One is this move to kind of online and the kind of um, greater kind of uh, technology, so technological advancements within fund management. So you've had the likes of Google thinking about entering the market and actually investigating it, although that hasn't yet materialised. Um, and you've had Facebook experimenting with um, some financial services products. Fund managers are slightly terrified <laughs> that they're going to lose out um, by these big technology companies kind of strapping on a bit of fund management um, and destroying them. And then the other side of it that's quite interesting is this kind of distribution a challenge for fund managers on the retail investment side um, after the retail distribution review Um, and obviously one of the appeals of this deal is that Parmenian 
has these established relationships with um, retail investors. Um, so it's a good kind of intermediary, intermediary market um, acquisition uh, for them to make. Mm. Um, so, yeah, interesting for a couple of reasons. I mean, is that, uh, th- th- you mentioned, I mean, that is, that is fascinating to me, the likes of Google and Facebook looking at this this market. I mean, is that... Well, Google, um, I think the actual investigation they did goes back a couple of years now. Mm. So it could be that Google have decided not to. Uh, but when news came out of that, um, I think it was last year when the news came out, um, there was kind of a lot of <laughs> worry uh, going through uh, the fund management industry um, that the likes of Google could come in. Um, as for um, As for Facebook, all they've done is, I think started investigating how to provide peer-to-peer payments basically right um so it feeds into that kind of digital payment thing that we've we've looked at in in, uh, in a previous issue um but yeah this technological challenge but it might be more on this kind of distribution challenge for aberdeen and aberdeen obviously we've mentioned emerging markets one of the main managers that's been hit by um emerging market outflows and negative investor sentiment and they've gone on this kind of acquisitive spree um to try and diversify away from um emerging markets so they've bought more kind of us private equity assets they've bought the kind of um the swip uh, scottish widows investment partnership business mm. um so that's kind of brought into them uh, into them into the quantitative investment um uh, world um, so they've kind of built up some of their alternative investments to try and diversify. So there's a few things going on, actually, in this quite small acquisition. Yeah, for, for many years, I mean, Aberdeen have been synonymous with emerging markets yeah. investing. They've uh, done they've done really well. And I spoke to Parminian. One of the interesting things to this is, obviously, that I spoke to the people, well, the chief investment officer at Parminian and another member of their management team, and he was quite adamant that they wouldn't be compelled to be putting their client funds into Aberdeen's mm. um, or to pick Aberdeen investment uh, funds for their clients. And that's kind of key to this deal. Obviously, it's early days yet. But, you know, they're, they're obviously excited about um, joining a, a company with the likes of Aberdeen and the kind of depth of research that the capabilities that Aberdeen has. Um, and from Aberdeen's side, they want to kind of grow Parminian's reach um, using their resources. Mm. So kind of looks like a deal that will work on both sides. But they're definitely not tied they're not tied <laughs> advisors, yeah, and they yeah. can, uh, the, the people, the advisors that work with Parminian. Yeah. Um, but I think they're increasingly using Parminian for their clients' money. Um, they had stats to that effect um, just because, uh, like I said, advisors kind of wanting to spend less time on um, actually the investment part of what they do with all the kind of advisory stuff that needs to be done uh, following a lot of the kind of savings and uh, pensions changes. Mm. And savings and pensions changes was something else that there's a theme that's run through some of the results you've you've written this week uh, as well, Ian. Exactly right. So we had um, the big ones. I mean, the Hargreaves. Biggies, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, exactly. Yeah. And that, you know, a bit of a stumble by them. A bit of a stumble. A lot of different things going on, on, on here. I mean, one of them is a kind of an increase in the levy they had to pay to the financial services compensation scheme. And, and we've seen that rise for a few of the um, uh, people in the industry. And that goes to kind of... Um, that comes from some SIP malpractice that was happening elsewhere in the industry um, in the previous period. Um, but there's some other things in there that have hurt them. Um, they've reduced their fees. So mm. following that RDR uh, that we were talking about, um, they've kind of come under some pressure and they've now reduced their fees. They don't see, uh, they don't plan to reduce their fees for another, uh, at least the next 12 months. That was, um, I know that, that was interesting that they said they weren't going to, because obviously they've already reduced their fees in recent months and there is you know it's it's a low it's a cost game at the moment there's a lot of people coming in with very low cost offerings 
they say it's not a cost game. It's mm. very interesting, really. Um, they say that people have proved um, in the post-RDI environment that they will pay for quality investment products. And though we've looked at the likes of Degiro and, and kind of new online-only broking services that come in and um, charge... Um, Peanuts, uh, choosing Gorham's turn, um, term. But he's quite convinced, and he's they've seen their market share inc- increase as a proportion of platform assets. And he's quite um, convinced that people will pay. He says it's not like car insurance, where you know this products are very similar, and people will just buy on price. When it comes to managing their own investments and their own money, uh, they will pay. So it's, that's going to be an interesting challenge over the medium term. Um, but they think that their levels of fees are providing good value for money now. I and guess they, they've got some so. pricing power as well because obviously they've got their sort of wealth one fifty list and I think their wealth one fifty plus list now as well, which sort of gets um you know the best price funds and stuff. So I guess they've got a slight competitive advantage even if they do have to cut their prices a bit. Yeah, exactly right. And what they've done really well is um to build up their own um to speak to that kind of um Aberdeen Parminian deal, uh, they've built up their own multi manager um strategies as well. So their own in house kind of fund management um uh, business is, is on the rise as well, so that's helped in these years results. So, I, I mean, suppose uh, yeah. one of the interesting comparisons you were com- comparing it with car insurance, and um, I guess one of the things that uh, the, the, the the switching costs are much higher for an investment management platform, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's a real bother to to move your money. I mean, it, it's similar to what you see in bank accounts. So, I guess, yeah, I mean, a, a more generous comparison for Hargreaves, and I guess. We might want to point out that you've upgraded to a buy. Um, you know, we had a big discussion about this, uh, and yeah, and I'd, I'd say perhaps it's more fair to, to to compare it to something like bank accounts, where people are notoriously sluggish about shifting their money, than uh, something like car insurance, which you buy every year and you go to a price comparison website and you get told what the lowest you know costs yeah and and people that buy the car insurance are typically kind of set and forget right you buy it for the year and you forget about it whereas with Hargreaves and Lantown they've actually got quite an active um, user base Mm. Um, so the the degree of services they provide to those customers is meaningful uh, yeah it's meaningful and you know you're not going to want to lose those overnight and what they have kind of but is it worth 29 times earnings so it's one of these perennially expensive companies, and, and that was the big decision and discussion that we had. Um, the kind of forward PE has kind of come has come down a bit um, since its uh, since its height, um, kind of eighteen months ago. Um, so I saw some value in it. It's come come if you look at the forward PE ratio that Bloomberg does, kind of best um, blended forward ratio, um, it's close to its three-year historic average. Um, so comparing it against itself uh, over the past three years, if, if, if you want a time to buy, then you can argue on an evaluation basis that it's not. this is a good time to get in. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I was convinced in this article by the growing market share they have those platform assets when interest rates come back and they start to increase their interest income they are basi- they basically hold a lot of people's money and they will benefit from that and when interest rates come back um, they will get some more interest income the financial so, uh, compensation scheme uh, levy will will fall away um, and also they've got a kind of increasingly strong drawdown product and that's another thing that we could talk about which is the pensions changes feeding through so they've got an annuity comparison service which the revenue dropped there understandably because people are not buying annuities um, but more people are buying drawdown and they've got a strong proposition there and they would actually rather have drawdown where they hold on to people's money for longer than um, have people buy an annuity through their service. So the argument for Hargreaves and for the rating is they're just the financial service behemoth of the kind of self-directed savings industry 
um, and they have this growing market share. But, you know, time will tell. You sound convinced, though, Ian. Uh, well, I can make an argument. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with financial services and, and talking about uh, retirement products. Looking lower down the market on AIM, you, you covered results in, in Mattielli Woods and, and this newcomer, that is a new one to me, Curtis Banks. Yeah, um, they week. are similar in that they took their names from the uh, the surnames yeah, of the chief executive and the chairman, uh, in each case, the owners of the company, the founders. Um, and yeah, they're interesting. I think the un- thing that unites these two results in terms of a trend is the consolidation in the SIP, um, SIP provider mm. market uh, driven by higher capital requirements and, and greater regulation. Um, uh, and just to kind of match up, following some of the problems that led to that increase in levy that I just discussed, I mean, the, the regulator doesn't want so many SIP providers to regulate. Um, and the kind of changes that have happened in the kind of capital requirements means that a lot of these smaller firms are getting hoovered up. So just so sort of dri- driving them out of business and, and the forcing consolidation on the market. I yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's a, and also there's this kind of natural barrier, like Mattioli Woods, for example, um, which is uh, employee benefits turned wealth manager that has, uh, so employee benefits consultant turned, turned wealth manager that has a lot of SIP business as well. Um, it targets these 30 to 50 person businesses that have kind of grown, got a good client base, um, but kind of hit a size of company where to to push on they would need quite a lot of investment in compliance and systems um, and it has not made, announced another acquisition in this kind of um, in this area with Taylor Patterson which in, announced on the day of the results and that's very typical um, as for Curtis Banks uh, I think there's three acquisitions of kind of different SIP books um, they brought on which which helped to kind of supplement their organic growth so there's plenty of these kind of uh, SIP, there's plenty of this SIP business in the market as a result of these changes um, that these businesses are using to as I say supplement which is quite a strong organic growth which is on the back of these uh, more of this move to personal investment that we're seeing and Curtis Banks listed quite recently yeah, I'm not sure exactly when, but this is the the, the maiden the results, results. Uh, for Curtis Banks. I think it was a few, okay, a few spring, months ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're going to follow a similar strategy of, of bolting on. Yes, I mean, the, the, what Mattioli Woods has, which is slightly different, is is quite a strong wealth management mm. arm, and that is a business that they've really built up. Um, that's why they're quite well set for the changes that we've had that George Osborne kind of has brought in. We're effective in April uh, because increasingly that like, pension you know, retirement decisions um, are being decision are being made decisions about inheritance and decisions about tax. Um, and as a kind of wealth manager, um, as well as an employee benefits advisor um, and a SIP provider, they, they do have um, you know a finger in a lot of pies. Um, yeah, and, and all, so I think they're quite well set up. Whereas actually Curtis Banks, uh, they're also strong too. SIP business is really strong, um, and that's slightly more straightforward. It's primarily a SIPs provider. A SIPs um, and SASs as well, which is a similar kind of product. Okay, and you've got them both on buys as well. Yeah, I think I yeah yeah. I've got a week this weekend. Very positive. I mean, I I see. I do, uh, you know, uh, there's that structural shift um, into people holding more of their own investments into mm. retirement. Um, and, and we're seeing that and these companies are benefiting. Plus, they have that acquisition-led growth. And they're doing it, in again, in an environment of kind of low rates. So, yeah, there, is, there are reasons to be cheerful on both. Excellent. Thanks, Ian. And uh, just a little teaser for listeners as well. Um, if you're not looking at the magazine while you're, while you're listening to this, um, you've tipped one of the... Uh, Major banks this week as well, but we're going to leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. There should be a video explaining why. Excellent. 
go to the website uh, to to see that video uh, once it's published on Friday. Um, okay, thank you everybody for your time. Um, I think that pretty much covers what we were going to talk about this week. Our personal finance team will be uh, recording their podcast tomorrow and uh, they'll be talking about uh, a couple of the ETF strategies that they've highlighted in recent months and also investment trusts. Uh, investment trusts with the Z factor is, is the big theme for them this week. Other um, features in this week's magazine, the cover is keeping the lights on, uh, how to position your portfolio for the UK's impending energy crunch. Philip Ryland has written a very uh, deep and considered feature which stretches us over something like seven pages on why Germany's economy is not quite as strong as people think. Well worth reading that as well. Our stock screen, Algie Hall, has looked at his momentum strategy and uh, the sector focus this week is on regional property. Um, Okay, thank you very much for listening and we will uh, be back here same place, same time next week. Thank you.